I mean he's an impersonator. A fake. We interrupt this broadcast to bring you the following urgent announcement. You, yes you, put down that oversized bottle of Scrumpy and listen here. Do you like being entertained? Do you like television? Well, do we have the show for you. Built for people who love TV, where three rapscallions dissect two television shows, one old and one not so old, for a probable audience of one. It's time for Hardly TV History. Hello and thanks for tuning in to Hardly TV History, the show where three idiots talk about two television shows for a probable audience of one. My name is Shannon and I'm joined here, as usual, by two of the most people I've ever met, Christian and Jake. Hey, Ron. You can call me Coach. Uh, I, don't, I don't want to. Well, I don't want to do that. That's I think uh, this, this episode is going to be a Schmidt show. Oh, hey, hey, oh, this is what you come here for. Shit, shit jokes. Uh, now, you know, I don't know if anyone's been paying attention to the news at all. Like, apparently there's some sort of weird kind of like flu virus thing going around. It's keeping us all indoors. Are you, are you across this? I know this is not a news show, but you're aware yeah. that we're in a global pandemic at the moment? I find it kind of surprising because I think that us three in particular, our lives probably haven't changed that much. Not really. No, I'm going outside slightly more than I used to. So it's <laughs> it's weird. I feel like I'm being forced to go outside by staying inside so much. When but, I say I can stay inside, I want to go outside more. You know, in a world where things aren't going right at the moment, not not everything's going well, we thought, how do we, how do we bridge the gap? How do we make people feel better about themselves? So we picked two feel-good shows. These shows are intrinsically linked by just positivity, I think, guys. A bit mm. of fish out of water, a bit of positivity is what this world needs. Today, we're talking about the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt and Ted Lasso. Yep. Two shows I knew very little about until I started <laughs> this podcast. <laughs> and I think I think you've got the the right angle there, Shannon, because it, these shows are really kind of linked by a kind of ignorant optimism on the part of the characters. Yeah, really. They're, they're both so gung-ho and unconcerned about, I suppose, the realities and the difficulties in the situations they're facing. Yeah, really good connection. And and you know no no surprise that they're both played by Americans. You know if we're talking about kind of ignorant positivity, it seems to be and no offence to American listeners, but seems to be your trademark. So, <laughs> and there goes so much of our audience. <laughs> uh, uh, look at that pie, look at that pie chart just shrink. Yep. So. The old show, we'll start with Kimmy Schmidt being the older show. Now, it's it's only relatively new in terms of our kind of breadth of time timeframes that we tend to deal with, but it is the older of the show. Ted Lazo's in its second season, and it's yes. only just launching its second season. So um, uh, no coincidence about the, uh, the timing of this old little podcast. It's around about the same, same time Ted Lazo season two is going to launch. But let's start mm. with Kimmy Schmidt. Christian, tell everyone about it. Fantastic. The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt is a, uh, a, a, a sitcom, basically, that revolves around um, a woman named Kimmy Schmidt, who's played by Ellie Kemper, actually really, really well. Ellie Kemper is a fantastic actress. And basically, she plays a, a young girl who's rescued from some kind of weird religious apocalyptic cult. Um, 
in out in the boondocks somewhere in in the United States. Um, and we, the intro to the show is basically her rescue and her appearing on TV along with the other mole women or mole girls who were in the cult with her. Um, and they're all packing up to leave the city and go back home with all the money that's been raised in GoFundMe's and things. And uh, Kimmy decides, no, I want to stay in New York City and I want to make a go of it and I want to you know see what this whole whole world thing is all about. And approaches it with this kind of really naive it's very endearing and and cute and amusing to watch um this absolute optimistic ignorance of of what real life is like in the big cold scary new york world and it's created by tina fey from 30 rock and and saturday night live and so it's got a, a real kind of uh i'd say feminist vibe of it you know it's it's all about the empowerment of those uh, of those women coming out of a, a doomsday cult. Um, the head of the cult, the Reverend, uh, isn't it like John Wayne? No, Reverend Richard Wayne, Gary Wayne. Gary Wayne, that's right. Uh, played played by John Hamm, uh, mm. which, uh, which I think is uncredited. Is but, yeah, he comes comes out much later. But it is it is John Hamm, I think, for this episode as well. Very cool. Uh, but the thing about us about Kimmy Schmidt straight away was, that she doesn't get identified of how she became got into the cult. They left that bit out. Which oh right. no, they, they they do mention it in passing. She said she was sitting in her fr- in her front yard, so yeah. it kind of implies that she was you know, sitting in her front yard playing you know as a, as a kid and was kind of pinched or kidnapped. So that's yeah. kind of what I took away from there. Yeah, well, it wasn't, um, wasn't in your face like the other ones were. Um, I think no. on TV, which was really interesting because they obviously they're going to explore that more. Now. But- uh, first points um, for creepy cameos. Matt Lauer uh, is is uh, is in this show, t- sort of almost leering at these women, which does not age well. If you haven't heard about Matt Lauer, he now Matt Lauer had a button in his office that he could remotely lock the door of his office oh, to really? sex. Yeah, he had it installed to sexually harass women. That's creepy. Yeah, so not a great. I mean, he was a very powerful. He's basically like our Carl Stefanovic, and I'm look. I'm not suggesting that Carl Stefanovic <laughs> has a button in his office, oh, but I'm also true. not suggesting that he's not. Uh, you know, so well, I just it, he, look. He's a robot, so let's not Carl Stefanovic yep. Ro- Robotron three thousand. Let's not let's not just cast aspersions here. I don't speak for the rest of the podcast. Legal disclaimer time. We are not casting aspersions on Carl Stefanovic. Channel Nine, please do not sue us. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm just, I'm just saying. It's just, I've heard it from a friend. That's all I'm saying. A friend of a friend. <laughs> this, this is the Donald Trump tactic. I, oh, people are saying it. It's not me. I just heard it. People are saying yeah. it. Carl Stefanovic in, uh, injects bleach, but I, I'm not. We're not saying that legally on this podcast. Yeah, fantastic, great. So, I really like the vibe of this show. I, I do love. Uh, look, Ali Kemper plays this pitch perfect she's she's really great at being kind of chipper optimistic she's effectively playing a slightly smarter version than her character in the office isn't she correct that's right whenever i see her whenever i saw her in this in this show i immediately just thought that's erin from the office and she's behaving in a very similar way except like you say a little bit smarter not quite as i suppose bizarre Erin yeah. from the office has quite a number of bizarre behaviors, which kind of come out in the, and they're expressed as, I suppose, hangovers of her, as a result of her growing up in an orphanage and whatnot. Um, in The Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt, obviously she's got this whole trauma of growing up in a cult, which 
would also excuse those weird behaviours. But yeah, the similarities in the character are very close. And I think that was probably done deliberately because I think this most people would recognise Ellie Camper as Erin from The Office and would kind of... She, it's almost like she's been typecast in a way, do you think? Yeah, it's a bit... It's it's interesting that she went for this role. I mean, I think it's a great role for her, but I think you're really pigeonholing, pigeonholing her for the rest of her career because she's done two similar kind of roles now. And I think trying to break out of that casting... I think anyone from the office is going to find it hard to break out from the casting, but with with this kind of role, you kind of really holding her straight down the middle. She she's almost she's too dumb to function in the office, and I think that's part of the problem when those characters become they're so two dimensional that they are really you kind of just wonder how they've even survived and got to this point. Kimmy Schmidt isn't like that. She she seems to be she's quite brave in a way in in terms of she she's the only one in the doomsday cult that just it doesn't want to be there and is insistent that they're going to get out of it um and so you you see via flashbacks that she's she's quite intelligent about the way that she sort of works out that what he's saying is not correct and that the world hasn't been destroyed um but she's also quite brave she she just she's going to stay in new york no matter what and that's intercut then with a whole bunch of scenes where she's just exuberant about stuff that we take for granted, you know, um, sensors, sensors that run water taps and um, hand dryers that just go on their own. She's, she's blown away by this stuff, Um, but not in a, she's not dumb in that way. She's just excited because it's stuff she hasn't seen before. So I, I quite like that. She's quite naive, but she's not stupid. And it would have been really easy to sort of steer the plot and her character into being, dumb yeah and there's a really endearing scene when she gets um the room which is basically a closet i think we have to have to say um with her her roommate titus which is who was an interesting titus andromedon who's an interesting character in his own own. but you know there's a a period in the episode where she actually loses all the money that she's been given and she goes back to the room and she's looking really depressed and whatnot but then she realizes actually Oh, things are actually pretty good. You know, I'm going to go get my job back. I've got this room. She has no furniture. It's it's a closet. But she says, I've got a window. And, you know, for, you can sort of get a sense that in that moment, she's actually quite happy. She's got a room with a door, which she's never had before. You know, it's a room by herself with a window. And that's actually a, quite a significant step up for her than what she's had for, for most of her life. And she's grateful for those really small things. So I think there's also that sort of underlying sort of message of, you know, gratitude and, and being thankful for what you, you do have. Well, that's where the optimism comes into it. I think... You know, this this could be a quite dire and depressing episode, losing her money. But her her kind of fighting back after she uh, opens up the care package and sees a rat of all things uh, in yep. New York, which is quite typical of New York. But it's 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 where the light comes from. Her optimism and her her sunshine really drive the story forward. And I think to to put a, a lead character like this is very brave. In a, in a show for Netflix, and I think it's 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 brave and it's clever, and it's it's riding the office coattails, but it did it perfectly, I think. Hmm. Speaking about characters that have been typecast, actors that have been typecast, Jane Krakowski, is that? I'm sure that's not how you say her name. Okay. Um, from, from she plays pretty much the identical character in Thirty Rock as well, um, okay. rich and spoiled and kind of you know diva like. Um, she she plays someone who who Kimmy uh, begins working for or seemingly begins working for until she's fired the next day, um, as kind of a a rich person who has a child she doesn't care much for and kind of has ridiculous demands um, for Kimmy's 
time. Um, but it's it's almost identical to that Thirty Rock character. So it's 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 Tina Fey playing fairly safe. I would have thought in the characters that she's created, there are people filled by people she knows can can carry those characters well. Mm, yeah. Can I now be honest about the show, boys? Can I be real? Yeah, real. Okay, be real time. Be real. We do. I really didn't like it that much. I found it pretty boring. Yeah. Right. Uh, I, 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 there were good, good parts of the episode. I thought the character was interesting. I thought Ellie Kemper did a, did a really good job. Um, during Jane Krakowski, I thought, did a really good performance. I think the show is cast well. It's acted well. Um, I just don't think the jokes were very very funny, I guess. Um, and maybe it just it just wasn't my thing. I just didn't find myself laughing at any point. I'm actually with Christian on this one. I agree 100% with what he's saying, which is kind of rare for us to agree on things. Um, I, didn't, I was kind of bored by this as well. I thought it was going to be better than what it was. And I'm usually one to give it a few episodes. At, but at the end of it, I kind of paused it and went, yeah, that wasn't as good as I thought it was going to be. Um, now, mm. I think I'd, I've seen the first season, I think from memory, I've watched the whole thing when it sort of came out. Um, it It's dated really badly, I think. And it's not like it's a it's a it new has. show, but it's, it's not like it's an old show. I mean, it's not like it's, you know, from the... The early two thousands, but it it feels dated. It does, and that really starts at the very beginning of the of the episode, where with the intro, I suppose the intro music, which is a riff yeah. of um a, a sort of a thing that went viral a couple of years back called Dead Giveaway. You know, and if anyone uh, doesn't remember that, which wouldn't surprise me, um, just <laughs> YouTube it. Uh, YouTube get Dead Giveaway. You'll see the remix, basically, and and the idea behind the story behind that that viral meme effectively was a bunch of people being held hostage for a, a number of years. And um, the ne- next door neighbor's response was remixed into a little catchy tune called dead giveaway. And that's basically ripped off completely wholeheartedly for the Kimmy Schmidt intro. Yeah. And auto tune, the news is a similar thing where they, you know, had, had recut bits of the news to make a song. Um, and it was, you know, it, it was a simpler time when we laughed at, at stuff like that. So, you know, but it doesn't, it didn't hold up particularly well. Um, I, I, there's there's got to be more to that character than just exuberance. Like she's clearly suffered quite a lot. I, I kind of wish she'd had a play between exuberance and kind of downtrodden. Like she, I, I think she's a more interesting character if she's sort of fundamentally broken. And and I actually does it work as a comedy or is is would it be better as a drama? Like I actually that that concept would actually kind of work better as a as a dark comedy or something. Yeah, potentially it could. Um, I've got this now picture in my head of this 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 imaginary genre of a of, of exuberant um, tragic comedy. I. But I mean, the, we haven't seen something like that where it's kind of the aftermath of a of a long term hostage. Hmm. That's kind of more interesting than than being the behind a comedic, you know, show. I take exception to that because Homeland did that. I haven't, I haven't seen Homeland. I haven't oh, seen haven't Homeland. You? No, oh, no. My God, we have to but, add this add, add it to the list right away. I, I think I think this show is, and I, I now we've seen a lot of pilots. I think this show is just kind of. You know, picture by not what's the word uh, dot by dot, dot 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 dot. It was pretty much straight line. There was no, there was no nothing surprised me. There was mm-hmm. nothing. There was no exciting elements. Her her being happy seeing an automated, you know, hand motion and hand dryer was probably 
the best part of the whole episode, which isn't saying a lot because it's a pretty easy joke to give. I'm, I think the stereotypical, you know, gay roommate is kind of done now. It's been done to death, and I'm just kind of over it. And I, I don't know. I, I was just, I just wasn't surprised. I wasn't shocked. I wasn't, um, I wasn't thrilled by anything. It was just, yeah, paid by numbers. Yeah. And, and the, the roommate there, Titus Andromedon, is a, a, a fellow who reveals himself to have come from a, a rural town to the big city with big dreams. Um, and he is interesting in that he is kind of presenting himself as a, I suppose, a future version of Kimmy Schmidt. And he says, you know, leave before you turn into me. You know, I was exuberant and I was happy and naive once. And this city's broken me and churned me up. And now I hand out pamphlets for a video game arcade in Times Square. Dressed as a um, robot. Dressed as a robot. And um, yeah, and so he, you can kind of get a sense. There's actually a bit more story to him, and a bit of a, I suppose, tragedy in his in his background. Yeah, the the best part of the show to me is the is the landlady, um, who just sits oh, yeah. on the step and makes wisecracks. She, she's she's the best part. I I rolled my eyes really hard at the at the rich Jane Krasowski. What is what Krakowski? Krakowski. Yeah. She, she, I think she's kind of she's the most dated part of it I, I don't know it feels like very early or you know 2010 kind of comedy and mm. I, I don't know i i think i think this show is better than what what you guys think it is i just don't think it's much better <laughs> and, and i also think that this is a fairly in terms of its how well it succeeds as a pilot in a half an hour, it does a fine job of setting up all the characters in the place, and yeah. you know yeah. these characters kind of feel lived in as a, as a pilot episode. Yeah. Do you know what I think? You are right, and like I was saying before, the show is cast well. It's it, it seems to flow well. It explains the backstory accurately enough. It's got a it's it's got a you know a standard enough premise. I think I think it feels like though it's been put together according to a checklist, you know, we need this character, we need this element, this element, and this element. They've ticked all the boxes. They've done everything right. It should be fairly formulaic. They've followed the formula. And what, they were, what they've left with is something that feels like a average ticking the box sitcom. But for me, it doesn't actually, I don't know, is it missing a spark or a soul or is it, or is it missing something? It's missing the hook. It's missing the hook. I want you to watch the next episode. Uh, it, it's it perfectly said, Christian. It's, it's literally paint by numbers pilot that get tickle the boxes but it's missing that spark that hook that end wowser to get you to watch the next episode i had no in, in, in inclination to watch the next episode there's nothing to make me want to push next it was just there it was watch I, it. Yeah. I, th- I thought all the characters seemed real apart from jane krakowski and i, I can't say her name so i'm now going to just call her betty rubble from flintstones 2 because that's nah. that's another character she played but she she seems like a parody to me and she she, she seems like a bad saturday night live character and everyone else i would absolutely subscribe to them being that character they it feels very well cast she just seems like this weird parody of rich people in new york and it really really annoyed me because i thought if it wasn't for that character who's kind of only in it for five minutes but he's clearly going to play a bigger part. Clearly that Kimmy's going to keep that job and that's going to be part of it. She just annoyed the hell out of me. And I wanted to, I, I, like I said, I've seen this before, but it's been a long time. I wanted to like this a lot more than I did. And I was really disappointed because it tried to be uplifting. And, it, you know, she's very positive, but it just, it just sort of fell flat. 
But a big question I was kind of thinking throughout the show is that she went to a nightclub with mm. Tots. And did she lost her money? She lost her yep. back. So let's say roughly it's what? 12, 1 in the morning? Yeah. What's that? So she's got to be at the new job at 6 o'clock. What was she doing for five hours to miss her first day of work? Sleeping, presumably. Oh, she said she no, was she looking for sleeping. her backpack. No, she, she found a backpack straight away. She was looking for she the money. But after, but after like she said, she doesn't have a watch, right? Like, I get that. Like, you don't have a watch. But surely someone who doesn't mind talking to people would be able to find someone to give them the time. And, and, and a first day is very important. Like, it, yeah. it, it seems very weird that you go from losing all your money, knowing it's gone, to saying that you've, you're walking around for four hours looking for money. It's just... The, the other thing is, I, I will say, what rewatching this again, is her character feels a bit muddled. Like, she's... If you put it all on the plate, she's seriously naive, but kind of cluey at the same time. She she fully punches a bouncer. Like she she's like quite aggressive in the way that she deals deals with that situation. Like I really wasn't expecting her to just throw a full punch at that stage. Mm-hmm. And he's kind of not sexually aggressive, but kind of really super keen in that in that space even though it's not something obviously something that she hasn't experienced so she just wants to kind of but she does say that weird sex stuff happened in the bunker yeah so it it just as a character she just seems a bit muddled and i wonder whether that's just trying to get the work the character out in the first episode it just it's got its training wheels on a little bit and i think that's just it it, it's you're right jake it's paint by numbers in terms of we've just got to get these plot beats happening all in one go and it's yeah. very different from our, I think, our next show, which which is far more effective at hitting those beats in un- unexpected ways. Um, f- so, yeah, I, I, I wanted to like this a lot more. Well, we can talk about it, but I, I wanted to like <laughs> Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt a lot more, and I, I don't think it quite hit the mark in the positivity stakes the way the next one did. Hmm. And why is she carrying 13 grand around with her? Is that, na- is that being naive? Like- yes, because she's yeah, very, and like, living in New York and not having a place to keep it, and never having money, I suppose. I guess, but it's just a weird. It's a lot of I money. think I think it's probably I think it's probably a bit of a play on the tourist angle. I think yep. if you if you treat Kimmy Schmidt like a bit of a tourist in New York, that's something a tourist might do. Not not trusting it's that you know the hotel that they're staying in, so they carry all their cash. And I'm sure there's been some stories. I mean, Tina Fey is probably I think is a lifelong kind of resident of New York. So that kind of play on how that, how that plays out. Oh, and I, and I think I remember reading just recently, there was a bit of a, a, a storm in a teacup in terms of Ali Kemper and uh, being the, a beauty queen for some white supremacist sort of backed event. And I, I think she was from a small town. So I get the feeling that she's kind of playing people she, she grew up with. Mm. Um, in her town, so that's why it kind of feels a bit authentic in terms of the way that she plays it. She she's the best part in terms like she carries it, she makes it believable. It could be a parody in her hands, in anyone else's hands, but she plays that sort of genuinely. She's got that authentic, kind of naive but sweet and endearing character down pat. So if yeah. you were going to keep watching it, it would largely be because of Ali Kemper, I think. Yeah, 
you have to really, okay. you have to really like her. You have to really like her to get into the show. Yeah. All right. Let's let's move right along to the second episode. I know Jake is just <laughs> vibrating in his chair, ready to talk about this show. So uh, Ted Lasso is basically it's an American football coach who's coming across to uh, London to, to to coach a uh, Premiership. I think it's called Premiership team. Premier League. Premier League team uh, in in London um, called. Uh, I don't even know the name now. I've seen it three times. I haven't seen it. Uh, but yeah, so he's, he's come across from the States to to coach this team. It's basically, the best way I can describe the show is if you think of Major League, it's basically mm-hmm. the UK version of that, but done way, way better. Uh, it's about it's about a, uh, it's about an evil, not evil, she's not evil, about a woman who's set out to destroy her ex-husband's soccer team. You have a, an amazing, lovable coach, Ted Lasso, and his uh, sidekick, uh, Coach Beard, basically getting introduced to this team and working his way through their first few days. Uh, it's done. It's on Apple TV only, so it's a very, it's a very unique one. And it is made by the guy who made Scrubs, so that's why that's why I was drawn to it in the first place. But yeah, that's why, that's why Jake had a brain gasm because a, it was created by Bill Lawrence. Bill Lawrence made it, and uh, and uh, yes, that, that's why I came across it, and this is why I'm uh, talking about it. Ted Lasso, um, go. You, you, you bugged me to watch it, and I had rolled my eyes severely about I, watching it. I don't, think, I don't think I can explain how big <laughs> eye roll Shannon gave me when I tried to describe the premise to him. Any, anyone that knows me knows positivity is not my game, Jake. It's not, yeah. it's not where I, I tend to dwell in my entertainment. Um, I like torture and mayhem more than I do positivity. Um, and we will stick very closely to this episode. I was, I was in at this episode um it took a couple a couple it 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 sucked me in it took a couple to really to really hook me but this this episode was enough to keep me keep me watching i really enjoyed it um it's a it's a genuine fish out of water um and and I like that there's a bit of a sting in the tail in terms of what the t- why he's been brought across because that's that's initially your your question is why would you bring a minorly successful coach from another sport from another country and bring him across to the UK to who knows to, nothing to coach, about he knows yeah, to coach coach hmm. a sport he knows nothing about that's right and and Jason Sudeikis is 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 likable enough in that role and believable enough in that role to kind of embody that character hmm. the only thing i don't like is the is the hokey accent I know that it's he's kind of you know down south, and that's kind of how it's supposed to be. You could have played it with his his normal accent, and it would have been as endearing and as charming. Oh, I think the accent adds. I think adds. I think there's lines built around his uh, his his accent, so that some of their comedy comes from him being full Kansas, full American outback. Yeah. He he definitely brings this kind of I don't know. Do you call it like hokey, folksy sort of? Um, positive kind of vibe um without any real substance you know he, he's prone to go off on these weird little anecdote stories and 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 try and sort of charm people over that way but i don't find it very endearing and i get i get the the concept of he's been brought on board as a bit of a goof to try and actually sink the club because that's really what the the owner of the club wants to do as a way of getting back to her against her, her former husband um, but I just didn't find him very endearing as a character. The, the sort of folksy sort of charm didn't really 
didn't really do it for me. I didn't actually find anything really funny. Even the bits in there that that kind of did strike me as kind of amusing, which is when he, you know, when um, the woman, I think her name is Rebecca, when Rebecca sort of introduces Ted Lasso and introduces him to like the head of marketing, she says, oh, he's our current head of marketing. He says, current? And, uh, you you know, I think that was supposed to be a joke, but I just didn't find it very, very amusing. So, yeah, what do you guys think? I don't think there's many laugh out loud moments. I don't think it's I don't think it's a full comedy this show. And I'm not sure it's being advertised as a full comedy. I think it's more 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 drama than comedy. But there there is there is some. I think it's smart writing some of it. I don't think it's meant to be kind of a laugh track. Here's in your face jokes. I think it's more think about it the next day and have a little bit of a chuckle with some of the stuff that you've in the background. Apart from the overall conceit that that a club would bring in an American. NFL coach to, to coach that they're a, a Premier League Division One club. Other than that, because I mean, fans would leave in droves. Like you see a you see a negative fan response, but it would never happen ever. Hmm. Other than other than that, I, I, these characters feel very very real to me. Hmm. Um, a, a woman that is going through a very messy divorce, knowing what the tabloids are like in the UK and how real that feels. Like they would be after her to no end, knowing how horrible the journalists and the press are. I mean, it's, it's different for us sitting in the, in Australia and even really the U S the tabloids in the U S are known to be kind of almost joke magazines. Like no one takes them seriously in the UK. They have a massive a massive circulation and they are they are read by a lot of people. And so that kind of gotcha journalism where they go after people, um, you know, I'm thinking the royal family and those sorts of people that they go after. I can imagine that the press being like that. That press conference that he does feels very real, you know. Yeah. And, and so I'm sure they they say stuff like that. Like they point out, do you know anything about the sport? And even the the main question was, is this a joke? Like that that yeah. question. Mm-hmm. Um, and I feel like that that really would happen to someone who was being put in this position. But again, it was her behind the scenes throwing him in the deep end on his very first day. He's jet lagged. He's had no preparation. Hasn't even met the team yet, and he's thrown into a into a press conference. Yeah, um, I love the love hate relationship she's got with her offsider, the the com- the communications guy who gets a bump. Yeah. And and she she has a great deal of bitterness towards him because he hid the affairs that that her that her ex husband was doing, but she still needs him. It's it's Higgins or something like that, is it Higgins? So you know that that spite that they they feel for each other or that she feels for him is really palpable. She's I reckon she's the best part oh, she's of this show. She's she's really really good. Um, and and you know what? All of the all of the athletes are very believable too. The the, the captain, um, the star player, all those all those players feel very very real to me. Um, the, the question I have is, and 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 you know, Jake and I are, are sports lovers. I'm not as sure that Christian falls into that category. Um, is this a show that really only sports fans can buy into? Because there is a there is a, a great kind of there's a, a mythology about sports and elite sports and the club environment. And it's a lot of that is shorthand. We know, we know that because we are sport lovers and have probably always dreamed about being in a club environment, 
have played sports, so been in that club environment. Do you think it appeals to anyone who's not interested in sport? Uh, well, I, I think I think there's there's very little sport in the show, so knowing knowing sports, I don't think it's a prerequisite, but I think it helps. But I do what I do like about the show is that the way it's written is that they explain they explain soccer for the idiots in a way by explaining it to Ted in a way. So they're kind of explaining the sport if you don't know it to the general audience by Ted learning it himself. Um, I'm not sure how Christian reacts. Not. I'm not sure what Christian sport level is like, but uh, how did you take it, Christian? I am not a person who enjoys sports. I don't watch football, although I am number one in the uh, work footy tipping competition at the moment, somehow. Uh, it's a miracle. <laughs> but putting that aside, I don't know anything about soccer. I don't watch sports. I'm not, as I said, not huge into it. And I think, uh, I think you need to have an appreciation for sport, at least to understand the setting. And to, and to be, I suppose, engaged with that part of the narrative. I'm like, I'm not really attracted to it at all. It didn't really mean anything to me. It was fairly, I mean, I was kind of unimpressed with the whole show, but the, just the fact that it's set in an environment that I really don't really care about. I think with Scrubs, like it's a hospital, it's relatable for everyone. Um, and everyone kind of wonders what happens in hospitals or, or what the lives of doctors are like. I don't spend a second thinking about what the lives of professional athletes are like. It's just not something that really interests me. Yeah, and, and I think about, you know, the fan reaction. I can imagine what would happen if, you know, a netball coach from another country was appointed to an, a head AFL. Like, like mm. the reaction would be visceral. It would be, they would be out for blood, all of those things. And so he it's his job to win everyone over. And, and you know damn well he's going to do that. Like, you can watch this first episode and just know that folksy charm is going to take over. Um, I love the shorthand character moments where he treats the the gaffer, Nathan. Nathan, yep. He treats him just like he's so surprised that he bothered to learn his name. Yeah. And 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 that and and he continues to encourage him. Like he, Ted's got kind of an innate ability to see who's valuable early and and kind of back them in and just do kind things to them for the sake of being kind. Hmm. That that character shorthand stuff is really really well done in a pilot episode, you know. And and I love the juxtaposition between the head coach that she fires. Her character moment, that first character moment of dealing with her, is calling in a misogynist dickhead and and calling him out, owning literally just owning him, and then getting firing him on the spot. That's yep. such a great character moment for her. She's powerful. She's smart. She's witty. She does all of that in a couple of sentences. But at the heart, she's still a very broken, yeah. you know, jaded woman. And yeah. and rightfully so. Uh, and so she's she's not an evil character. You, you kind of get where she's coming from. No. What you're sort of seeing there, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, guys, is, is effectively a culture clash. You've got the culture clash with with a woman taking over into a traditionally manned space, and so you're seeing her sort of put her, put her foot down and, and um, drive out some uh, a particularly bad operator. Um, but you're also seeing the culture clash between American and British cultures with Ted Lasso. He's being presented as, I suppose, the all-American hero who's coming into this weird backwards place, which is which is England and, and this football club, which is you know, full of history and traditions and culture that has been established for a very long time and, and sort of shaking that up just by kind of being himself. And I think that's actually a bit of a trope that they're, they're really playing into saying, hey, look, look how different Americans are to the British. And isn't the American way a bunch better? 
You're also seeing Ted Lasso is a little bit broken in himself. At the very end of the episode, they they mm. kind of show that, yes, he's this optimistic guy. You think everything would be perfect in his life, but it's not. He's come to England, you know, he's obviously he's a bit of estranged from his wife and his son, and he's not all happiness and sunshine. There is some darkness in his life that he's got to overcome. So I like that they throw that 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 indifference between the two. I think that's what differentiates it from Kimmy Schmidt. There's no kind of down moment. She has about 30 seconds of down moment and the rest is all kind of go yeah. forward. But this kind of really comes, and it ends with darkness. One of yeah, you, th- there's a great great deal of depth in in those, particularly those two characters, is that there's a great, there is a great depth to them. And so you can immediately kind of see, you know, see yourself in those characters. You know that he's going to have a massive positive impact. This show sets it up to be a huge positive impact, but he's going to have such a hard time turning that, those hardened players around to his way of thinking um and and that's 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 the part that great how is he actually going to do this how is a guy with no experience going to come in and and it's a bit of it's also a bit of my dream too to be like plucked from obscurity and be like you can coach this this team and Hmm. kind of turn the culture around can i can i answer that question for you having not seen the show and not going to be watching the rest of the show he does it by being an american doing american things yeah, but he, he yeah, I think yeah, he, yeah, yeah. Well, um, yes and no. I don't I don't know that his Americanness matters as much as it does being overly positive and and kind of being authentic, I suppose. Like it, it actually wouldn't matter where he was from. You know, some of the hokey kind of down home play on word stuff that happens is is kind of quintessentially American. But, but I think it's just, it's almost, to me, it's almost a vibe of think differently. Don't go with the same old stuff. Like that's kind of at its heart is, you know, we put people in because they're experienced or particularly in roles. And and sometimes it's better. You can have all the, all the tacticians you want, but someone who can come in can build a culture and a, and a, and a positive vibe is sometimes better. And mm. I think that's kind of what this show is trying to yeah, say. I think, I think that I, and that's what he says, you know, from the very he hasn't hasn't coached a team, but it's he loves coaching, and he and he that, that's what he wants to do. And it's not he's yes he coached college students before, but he can apply those same principles to anyone, and they will work. I think that's the general yeah. consensus. Yeah, that's interesting. And, and there's that old saying that you hear often in in like management and leadership courses. You know, uh, culture eats strategy for breakfast. And so if, if Ted Lasso is sort of I suppose strategic approach is to get the culture right and get the people right. You know, you're probably not too far off off success there, really, from that point on, are you? Yeah, and and it could have it. Look, it's a professional sports club, but it could have it could have been anything in any any industry of someone coming coming in and kind of you know making the culture something different. And it's clear just in the short little videos we see of the the reason why he kind of became a viral sensation is him dancing in the club rooms, but you can, can see the love that that team has for him mm-hmm. as a person. And I, I just, I just think that in a, in a sea of anti-heroes in terms of, of the characters that we're so used to yeah. a guy who oozes positivity and charm and, and is there for all the right reasons is just kind of a is just kind of what we need. It's just a nice character to watch. But I also like that he's coming into a fundamentally broken club. Like mm-hmm. you've got the older the older captain, 
um, and you've got this superstar young man who don't get along, he's going to have to win over some seriously different characters. They're not all superstar cocky guys who's, who instantly going to love him. You've got Sam, who's optimistic and very happy and happy for anyone to be there just to know his name. And then you've got you know, Roy Kent, who's the, the gruff old Englishman, who's there's one of them at every club, I'm sure, in, in all the, the stereotypical rough English player. And then you've got Jamie Tart, who's the, the superstar, who doesn't get along with anyone, and that his teammates hate him, essentially. Hmm. got to bring all these people together. But the character I actually like most is his sidekick, Coach Beard. I think he's a great character. I think he's a great side, a great, uh, great psychic to Ted Lasso. He's the kind of the straight shooter, man of few words, but can be the heart of the the footy, uh, the soccer club if he wants to be. Yeah, and for for any community fans, he plays uh, the drifter who uh, Britta and Shirley pick up, who sings "Jesus Loves Marijuana." Yeah, I, I was watching Community the other day. I was like, "Oh my god, it's Coach Beard singing yeah. singing about Jesus." You know who um, you're actually just making me think of now? We're talking about Ted Lasso in a bit more detail with this kind of approach on culture and, and trying to change the environment, especially sort of connecting with people who traditionally have been ignored in that in that work environment. Is the Doctor from New Amsterdam? Do you remember when we watched that you know a number of episodes back? Yeah, because um, he was an outsider coming in, and his big focus was around improving the culture of the place. And one of the he shakes it up really quickly by by firing all the old surgeons because they're doing the wrong things and and whatnot. But I've just kind of there's a parallel between his character and Ted Lasso there which, that I um, I just realised. I know we're not comparing New Amsterdam and um, and Ted Lasso, but just thought I'd, I'd throw that out there and see what you reckon. Yeah, I mean the the show, and you're absolutely right. It's that it's that fish out of water. I mean, he comes in with a wealth of experience. Like he's he's made it because he is kind of the top of his game and this rising star. And and mm. Ted's the same, but he's he's ch- changed his hands. And it's a bit of escapism for Ted too. Clearly, things aren't going right in his personal life. Mm. And his his response to being to needing to give his wife space is to is to take a job and move halfway around around the world. And so, you know, he seems like a very healthy, well put together person who's got his own issues, and and it's that kind of character flaw and de- you know depth of character that's really impressive in in what is what a forty minute first episode. Mm. Um, but you know, ha- how's he going to turn it around? But you also know he's going to turn Rebecca around. He's going to turn the public around, and it's not just through winning. I, I don't think he's going to be immediately successful. It's more about. He's he's going to do these some of these pre- these press conferences are going to be a recurring theme from the look of it, and and he's going to have to turn all these people around. I, I don't, you know, I, I've seen it, so I'm playing dumb a little bit, but th- I, there's no way he's going to win the Premier League in the first season. Like that's yeah. it's just not the trajectory he's got. But he's going to win the hearts and minds of people. But you're also going to win over, over the supporters, and I think that's the biggest the biggest thing. Like immediately they call him. Is it wanker? I think they call him yeah. fans. Yeah. They immediately see that they're, they're not impressed. They want to be impressed by the new coach, and they're simply not. And I think when they don't see him every day and they only see him for the game, the four, the 90 minutes that is the game, standing on the sidelines where he does very little, and if they're losing, they want to get rid of him because there's a, he's an American who knows nothing. Yep. But but there but, but you know, I mean, again, being a sports fan helps, is that you know what the British – public alike yes. you, you know we know that those sports fans have to be separated out unlike afl where we co-sit we co-mingle and you know clubs supporters sit wherever they like they are separated out um 
you know, and 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 they don't aren't allowed to sit next to each other for for fear of riots and flares going off in in the in the in the state. This this they are ruthless when it comes to their head coaches, m- mm. more so than AFL, and we're pretty ruthless over here. And so, you know, even people who've who've won multiple premierships are, are booted mid season because they're you know the fans aren't happy. The, the, there's a group of fans which are kind of the 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 representatives of the fans across the board. Um, which we 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 flash back back to when when he's doing his press conference, and and a journalist asked that particularly hard hitting question about is this a joke, and they flash you know go to the pub, and those guys say I love journalists, and and that made me laugh out loud because you know damn well that in any other circumstance they hate journalists, yeah. they would be critical of any article that's critical of their team, um, or positive against their team when they're losing. Like they are just so flippant in terms of their support um and and impossible to win over it doesn't matter what's happening even if you win the championship they're probably still critical about what you've done so you know ted ted has got to focus on his energy on the people he can win over and and, you know while we're we're sitting talking about casting i just think this show's really really well cast and jason sudeikis is the perfect person to lead this because he has that audience shorthand of being kind of a lovable, affable kind of guy. And all he does is put a focus, folksy American accent on and he's kind of even more charming and affable. I, yeah. I, I wish he didn't do that accent. I still wish that because to me it feels like him doing a character rather than being himself. Mm-hmm. But I think that wears off as as uh, it was striking immediately in the first episode. I, it will wear off. You do get used to it. I, I, I like the accent. Again, he feels like he's doing an SNL character. And and Jason Sudeikis being on SNL for many years, it just feels like another character. Yeah, yeah, and I think it might be interesting to see how the series develops, especially with Rebecca's character. You know, you'd expect she's probably going through a bit of emotional pain at the moment. That's certainly what you you get the sense of, and you know, what sort of an impact will Ted Lasso have on her, and will she kind of you know, um, I suppose start to heal from her you know, bad experiences, and will the team gain some some success in there have a bit of a change? And I think it's also important to to recognise that sometimes leaders come into organisations or teams or whatever, and you know their job isn't to take you from the the, the pit of despair that you're in. You're in, you're in last place. The job isn't to get you back up the front and, and leading the pack. Sometimes you're there to consolidate and heal and repair. Um, mm-hmm. I can think of there's many cases in you know Australian rules football and things where teams will get a, an experienced coach in whose job is just to be there for a couple of years, stabilise the team, get things moving again properly, and you know then another coach will come in and take them on to success. And perhaps that's what Ted, Ted Lasso is in this particular club. Um, and maybe the story is that he's not just going to heal the club, he's also going to heal the owner, the players, and, and so on. That might be the, the, the arc that they're going to go for. And, and he's almost willfully ignorant of the of the sport, whereas Coach Beard, who I can only assume is his right-hand man from the other, yes, you know, the other team, seems to know a lot about it. Like he really has done his research and, and understands the game you know, to a degree. But... He, you know, Ted's almost not bothered to do any of that. Like he could have spent the plane ride over at least reading the rules and understanding how it works. Watching a game or two. <laughs> yeah, like, he he, but he, he doesn't care. I don't think he cares yeah. about the game itself. He's more concerned about the culture and what he can bring to the culture, regardless yeah. of the sport he's, he's in. He could be going to do gymnastics and he'd do the exact same thing. Yeah, and that, that sort of tells me it doesn't really matter what Ted does in terms of the football. Like the, he's not there to actually win games or, yeah. or anything. He's there to actually start repairing the the team and putting the, I suppose, the organization back together again. One character we didn't mention was um, Keely, who's Jamie Tart's girlfriend. She's obviously going to be a bigger part 
to play across the whole show. Um, I think she's really going to be an interesting character too. I just wanted to bring her up because she was there and she's going to be a bigger part. But yeah, she, she's well played. She's a the, the, the girlfriend of Jamie Tart. She's obviously an older model um, who's been around the club for a while, been around football for a while. Um, played by an American too. Is she? I didn't... Yeah, she, I think that's Bijou Phillips. Um, and um, it hasn't been seen in a hell of a lot recently, but sort of started, sort of had a, had a bit of a career and then kind of faded a bit. So it's nice to see her pop up. But I think I just think they're all excellently excellently cast. I love the casting of Roy Kent. That guy just screams old grizzled footballer, and just that attitude and the way he he presents himself and the kind of his leadership is just to threaten people. Hmm. Like his leadership is effectively, you will listen. I'm the captain, and you'll shut up. And you know, well, he's the character. That clearly, he's going to have to be the hardest to turn. He's going to be the one who's going to have to Ted's going to have to chisel away. And win over his affection. Like I, I do, I do love that line when they're talking about winning him over, about how annoyed he's going to be when they do win him over. That's just such a great line because you just can see that character being really pissed off that he's been won over by those guys. Yeah. <laughs> and I just, I just think that's that's expert sort of foreshadowing and just a really funny line. There's no laugh out loud moments of hilarity, but there's there's enough in here to A, I think, smile and kind of chuckle to yourself and B, just kind of feel a bit heartwarming about about this fish out of water coming in and, and, and changing things up. And there was enough to hook me and, and get me going. I just think it's clever writing. I think there's, like Christian said, it's not, it's not laugh out loud funny. It's, it's, I think it's just clever. There's some clever lines in there and I think the, the, the pilot did a good job of showing all the characters and giving that little bit of a hook at the end as well. Mm. I think that's what separates from Kimmy Schmidt. Yeah. I just wish it was funnier. I wish both of them were funnier. Yeah, I, I, I didn't need Ted Lazo to be funnier. I, I, I didn't, I didn't need that. I mean, it's a bit different from Bill Lawrence's stuff without the surreal kind of flash, flashbacks and and kind of fantasy sequences that Scrubs has. This is yep. really based in reality. Um, yep. All these characters do feel like they could be genuine characters, you know, that come into an, an organization or around an organization, particularly mm. an organization that's suffered from kind of being mediocre. Yep. hasn't been horrendous, but also hasn't hit the heights it needs to. Um, mm. And and yeah, I mean, you sometimes do just need something completely out of left field to, to shake things up and try something different. Yeah, is it more of a study in leadership? Do you think? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. Oh, ab- absolutely, it is. And it, like I said, it could have been anywhere. Having someone come in with with vastly different views of an organisation shake an industry up. Um, and sometimes you need that. I mean, it, it's great for for new managers or managers that have been that of of people to 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 watch this show and kind of pick up bits and pieces because it there is some lessons that you can learn. And it almost does feel like it's been written by someone who's had to do people leadership and was kind of crying out for some you know for someone to to think outside the box a bit. But one of the yeah. other characters was Joe Kelly, and he he wrote um, was the head writer for How Much Your Mother and Saturday Night Live for you know 12 years so they've got some it's got some powerful writing writing behind this show so it's got some good credentials on it without the overt comedy which is a bit interesting like you know maybe maybe that's how you hook hook more watches in i don't i think the balance is perfect i wouldn't change a thing but maybe to, to hook in the people who aren't interested in sport it needs more overt jokes but um i just think it's really heartwarming and i, th- I think that's the part that that I would I would urge people to watch. I think it does a much better job than than Kimmy Schmidt. A, it being heartwarming, and B, I just think it's a better all round show. Hmm. I would really strongly urge people to watch that. Anyone that's got an interest in sport or leadership, 
Um, oh, absolutely, Ted Lazo is the way to go. I would have thought. I just think even if you, even if you're having a bad day, I, I I have watched Ted Lasso all the way through three times in the space that I've watched it, and I I, I can't get enough of it. I, the, if I'm having a bad day, it's a show I'm happy to throw on, and it will make me smile at some point. Just from your optimism, I mean, it's pretty obvious which way I'm leaning. It's the very first show I think that I can remember that Shannon has refused to watch and then mm. admitted that he was wrong and not watching it. <laughs> so I'm going to hold on the Ted Lesser has a special place in my heart for that reason alone. Fascinating. That is really interesting. So I I didn't particularly enjoy either of these shows. I actually suspect Ted Lasso, now that we've talked, might actually have a bit more to it. But I kind of think maybe just they shouldn't have built it as a comedy. Uh, maybe they should have actually leaned more into the drama aspect of it and it might have been more intriguing to me. Out of the two, I'm going to go with Ted Lasso because I think it's it's got uh, maybe more to it. Um, and I think Kimmy Schmidt is a little bit of a one-trick pony. It's got Kimmy Schmidt being naively optimistic and... Um, about everything, uh, whereas Ted Lasso might have a little bit more depth to it, and the character's journey might be uh, more more intriguing for a longer period of time. It's it's cleaned up the award season. It got a, some ridiculous number of award nominations, so it's it's really has is getting the industry buzz that it, it probably deserves. Ted Lasso, that that to you know what it is to me. It's the perfect sick when I'm genuinely sick in bed. It, it's I think it's going to replace Black Books for me. Black Books was always the show really? that I would chuck on when I was really really not well and just wanted something, you know, to kind of pick me up a little bit. And it was something about Bernard Black's kind of overt <laughs> aggression that, that made me happy. Yep. I, I've changed my mind. I think Ted Lazo is the, the, show, the go-to show for sick days. That's, really? that's what I'm saying. I, so if you can get your hands on it, binge it all in one day or two days when you're sick, and I think you'll end up feeling better. It's better than Nurofen. <laughs> like, but it's, it is available on Apple Apple TV only, so you need Apple TV either on your your phone or your TV. But but you can get a seven day kind of free subscription. Yes. So if you can chuck it on and just binge it and then get rid of it, it's ten episodes yep. and they're half an hour each, so you'll get through it very very quickly. Yes. Yeah. I, I, so may I just say, I I no way endorse anyone giving any money to Apple <laughs> at all. Oh. Like I, I want you to watch this for free and then get out of Apple. All together. That's that is my that is my disclaimer. Unbreakable right. Kimmy Netflix though, so you can watch that if you have a Netflix subscription. Netflix. Netflix. Yep. Uh, look, this show, of course, brought to you by Nate Sports Drinks. Uh, drink it down. They're great. <laughs> they're great because they're Nate. A, a proof- oh, that was so bad. Oh, yeah. well, everyone's a critic. <laughs> yes. I'm gonna yes. I'm gonna take some positive. You could have taken the Ted Lazo positivity, but instead you've decided not to, and that's hurtful. And that's why I didn't like the shows. <laughs> <laughs> overtly negative. That's where's the show where people are just overtly negative. That's the next show. We need to do the juxtaposition of Ted Lazo. Uh, it's Black Books, obviously. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Better <laughs> Black. Let's. We got to do that show. But that's yeah. it from me. Thank you very much for listening. You can check out all of our socials, all the stuff that you've always listened to. You can suggest shows and do all that kind of jazz. But we've decided it's going to be black books and something next next week. Who cares? Oh. I don't, I'm just going to two episodes of black books. I'm happy with that. All right, you ready to call the outro? Yep. Talent's here. Let's go. All right, you want to warm up or anything first? No, I'm no. good. <clears throat> okay, hit me. Now, remember. No cliches, funny, light. It's a podcast. Go. In a world. Always do this. It's the first one. But that's, that's it's what, the most obvious but one. But that's what good trailers. No. No. Just no. On the edge of space. Shad. Bedroom.
House, podcast, us, go. Jurassic Park meets Twilight. Imagine it. Yeah, yeah. We're a podcast. We're not a movie. Dun, dun, dun. We podcast. Us talking about movies. Is it just, just no, no, just go. Is it because the, no, the T Rex no. has little arms and couldn't stab him in the chest with a stake? Go. A rooster and a cat are friends? I know you're a cock, but this. Careful. Come on. Movies, podcast. It's us talking about them. Go. Two idiots have a podcast. They talk about movies and nonsense. If you'd like to join in that conversation, you can hit them up on masspodcasters at gmail.com or talk to them on Facebook. That's so hard? Yeah, my voice hurts a little. I've got a tickle, and I actually think Jurassic Park and Twilight as a crossover would work. <sighs> Shut up.